Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Want to get a little more from every sip? Smartwater Alkaline doesn't just taste crisp and pure. It's loaded with everything you need to perform at your best, whether you're running marathons or boardroom meetings. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smartwater Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com. Hi, this is Jim. And this is Max. Check out our podcast, The Step Over, Liberty Ballers Podcast Network, for all of your Sixers' needs. Player analysis, game breakdowns, who would look coolest in a headband, and more. Subscribe to Liberty Ballers Podcast feed on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts, and check out The Step Over, a podcast about Sixers basketball. Mostly. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. Hello, Bleeding Green Nation, and welcome back to BGN Radio. This is episode number 12, and this is your Eagles-Titans preview ahead of the Eagles Week 4 matchup against the Tennessee Titans. I'm John Stolnes from BleedingGreenNation.com. You can follow me on Twitter at John Stolnes. And uh, joining me for this preview podcast, as he does every single week a couple days ahead of time, is the the man, the myth, the legend, the brains behind the operation at BleedingGreenNation.com. The great BLG. All hail BLG. Brandon Lee Gouton. How you doing, buddy? <laughs> the <Yeah>. kingmaker. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, <laughs> I appreciate the, uh, the, the the very generous compliments. Uh, every day is a good day to be alive, as Ben Solak usually says from yeah. the Kisten Solak show, who did a great job of previewing this matchup already. Yeah. Uh, so obviously listen to those if you haven't already, but this should be good, John. Uh, I can't believe we're already about to be a quarter way to the season like it just it goes by like that it's just yeah. a snap of a finger so but I'm excited it's it's another important game absolutely no and you're totally right too because I mean you know me I, I'm I cover baseball heavily when I'm not doing these podcasts with you I have the the Phillies podcast hitting season with the good fight and do a lot of writing for them and the baseball season because you're playing every single day it feels like by the time you get to September, I'm I'm ready for it to be done at this point. You know, it's like a it is such. I think a we long, all are when it comes yeah, to the Phillies. <laughs> when they're not doing well, especially right now, it's been it's been pretty terrible. But uh, you know, at the end of a baseball season like this, you're you're kind of ready for it to end. And with the NFL season, you only have 16 games. They're so precious. Each one of these 16 games that they come and got they come and go so fast. And we're already at the fourth one. We've already played uh, three games. And I think you know before we get into the guts of the show I guess I kind of want to touch on this a little bit because you're right it feels like for the first couple of weeks we were just kind of waiting it didn't even feel like the first two weeks of the regular season to me anyway were the regular season because we were waiting for a lot of the players who were injured to come back especially Carson Wentz and I think for a lot of people last week felt like okay Carson's back now the 2018 season is really underway. And the fact that the Eagles are two and one basically with those first two weeks being a lot of the a lot of the secondary players and you know the, in a lot of respects, the offense on the offensive side of the ball looked like some preseason lineups that you would see in there. Now I think you're right. It's the fourth game of the season, but it still feels like we're just getting started, but this will be the quarter pole after this game against the Titans. Yeah, and I feel good. You know, obviously, 2-1, and one, uh, Nick Foles had to start two of those games. Carson is back. He obviously looked great in terms of his physical abilities in this first game back. There's no concern at all like about, can this guy be healthy enough to be great? No, there shouldn't be. I mean, like, what more could you have wanted in that game? Obviously, he was rusty, I think, from a mental perspective. He has some things he needs to clean up. But just going on all the encouraging things we saw and the fact that we know Carson Wentz is going to work hard as heck to get back on track and clean up those mistakes. I have no worries. I just, I feel really good. I feel really confident moving forward. Uh, I feel good, man. I feel, I feel like the Eagles are in a good spot here and a chance to be even better here. I mean, they win this game. They're three and one all of a sudden. So yeah, no, and we're going to break it all down coming up here in just a second. The Titans are a, a sneaky team here. We're going to talk about that a little bit, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Could pose the Eagles some problems offensively. But first, I want to remind everybody, listen, the, if you're not subscribing to the Bleeding Green Nation podcast feed, please go ahead and do that, whether you're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, uh, Stitcher, whatever, whatever it might be. And the ratings and the reviews, five-star ratings, five-star reviews. Like Brandon, I think that's the only thing they can do now, right, is five yes. stars. That's 
Yes. It's been locked in. I think the overlords at Apple have basically said just it's only five stars. But seriously, no, the reviews that we've gotten are fantastic. I love hearing what you guys have to say. Um, the feedback, constructive criticism, what you guys want to see, what we're doing well that you like. Give us those reviews, the five-star ratings. Please keep those coming. They do help us out uh, tremendously. And, um, you know, would like to encourage all of you that if you're amenable to continue to do that. And um, um, we appreciate everybody doing that uh, when they get the opportunity to. So I um, want to mention a couple other things before we get into the show. The Eagles had a couple of pieces of sad news this week to pass along. First, earlier in the week, uh, one of the one of the team's all-time great wide receivers, Tommy McDonald, passed away. Um, neither of us got to see Tommy McDonald play. He really was probably in, if not our father's generation of Eagles football, our grandfather's generation of Eagles football, but everybody you talk to. And he became a pretty well-known uh, uh, TV personality. I mean, he, he was... Not he wasn't on TV all the time, but he became pretty well known as a as a as a fiery guy, and uh, you know when it, he's always he'd always be good for a quote kind of later in life, and so um, it's uh, it's sad to see uh, Tommy McDonald pass away here. Um, the other guy that we learned here on Friday had passed away, a big surprise. Wes Hopkins, BLG, passed away. Former Eagles great, um, one of the one of the toughest safeties uh, in the league during the time that he was playing in the uh, the late '80s and early '90s with that Buddy Ryan team. I got to see him play a lot, BLG. Uh, this, this was when I was first getting introduced to Eagles football. And when Buddy Ryan came aboard, that was really the first team I, I followed closely. The Clyde Simmons, Reggie White, uh, Byron Evans, Seth Joyner, Eagles. And, you know, Wes Hopkins in that secondary was really, I think, second only to Ronnie Lott in that era as far as hard-hitting safeties are concerned. Wes Hopkins could lay the wood on anybody in the, in the national football league. And that defense, that 46 blitzing defense that buddy Ryan put in was absolutely perfect for him. He and Andre waters really formed a terrifying duo. If you're a wide receiver, especially back in the, in the eighties and nineties BLG, when you didn't have a lot of the roughing, you know, a lot of the roughing rules that we have now, the, the, um, the personal foul calls, the head hunting calls, all that kind of stuff. Wes Hopkins basically could work with impunity back there, and it was terrifying. <laughs> would, I remember one game in particular in, in 1991. It's called the, the House of Pain game when the Eagles went into Houston and absolutely destroyed a pretty good Oilers team defensively, just laying people out. I remember Seth Joyner had a, a violent case of the flu in that game and had the game of his career, but Wes Hopkins also in that game was absolutely devastating. Um, he got slowed down by a knee injury uh, in the middle of his career, really kind of sapped the life out of the very end of his career. But, man, BLG, he was one of the most ferocious safeties the franchise has ever seen. And, I, again, I think probably the second hardest hitting safety of that era behind only Ronnie Lott. He was he was amazing. Sounds to me almost like he was like a Brian Dawkins before Brian Dawkins, if yeah. if that's uh, accurate at all. I never got to watch him, unfortunately. Um, obviously, very sad for the Eagles alumni this week with both him and, and Tommy McDonald. I do have a story about him. I obviously <laughs> never watched him play, but uh, my my memory of Tommy McDonald is when I was just 21. I was t on my first training camp covering the Eagles with Bleeding Green Nation back in 2013. The Eagles did a open training camp practice. It was the first one at Lincoln Financial Field in the Chip Kelly era. It's the first practice they had there since they moved away from Lehigh. And like I said, they had an alumni day, and they were bringing out a bunch of guys, McNabb, Dawkins, Westbrook, like a bunch of guys. And, and McDonald was one of them. And I think he was like, what was he? I don't know, like 70-something or 60-something at the time. And he is yeah, running be, yeah. out of the tunnel like he is 25. <laughs> and he's like jumping around. I was like, who is this guy? Like I never even like really, you know, had that super familiarity with him to that point. And I just like you could see that energy. And I know a good friend of the podcast, Patrick Wall, he used to work for the Eagles. You know, he was around Tommy McDonald at points. I guess, working for the team. And he said he was probably in an endearing way. He said he's like one of the craziest guys he ever met. Like he was just <laughs> like this, just this uh, very positive force of energy. So very sad that we lost both of those guys this week. Yeah. And especially, and this Tommy, I think lived a, a good long life. Wes uh, dying. And I, I forget exactly how old Wes was. 57. Um, 
57, yeah, far too young, and we don't know exactly uh, the cause of death. Not really all that important to us right now either because we just want to remember Wes and, and Tommy and uh, yeah, two, two great Eagles players gone in the same week. It's just unusual it happens that way. But um, let's move on to happier things, and let's talk about this uh, Eagles-Titans game coming up here. Um, first last week, you know, as we all know, the Eagles beat the Colts 22-16, um, moved to 2-1 on the season. Uh, the Titans... Beat the Jaguars in an offensive show here, man. Nine to six Ugh, against Ugh. the Jaguars. I, you know, I didn't see this game, but I, I watched a lot of the highlights. I, you know, I, I watched some film breakdown of of Tennessee and, and Jacksonville in this game, and it's as ugly as the score indicates, man. It was three three going into halftime. Marcus Mariota, twelve of eighteen for a hundred yards passing, fifty one yards on the ground, a fifty two point six QB rating in that one. Derrick Henry, they're, they're good running back, 18 for 57, a 3-2 average. And then Corey Davis, who's a pretty good wide receiver for them, 2 for 34. But um, certainly not an, impre- an impressive offensive showing for Tennessee. But they are 2-1, same record as the Eagles. And um, the Eagles head to Tennessee, where the crowd is not expected to be much of a factor in this one here, BLG. Uh, head coach Mike Vrabel once again this week said that Titans fans need to show up on Sunday (laughs) and said there have been too many times where the home team, the home team was caught off guard by how much sound and noise visiting fans were making. And I'm seeing on social media, just like we've seen in every other Eagles away venue this year. I think we're going to see it a lot is that Eagles fans are traveling this year and there's a big contingent in Tennessee from what I hear, from the sounds of it, according to Mike Vrabel, sounds like there's going to be some plenty of seats available for Eagles fans to to get loud. So uh, this is um, this is an away game, but it might not have the negative side effects most away games do here. BLG. Yeah, we see Eagles fans take over everywhere, so it'll be no surprise to me that we see a big sea of midnight green in Tennessee. It'd be great. Uh, obviously, you know the Eagles not the best road team here. Uh, I think it's seven of ten in their last seventeen. Like that's for that's for the Doug Peterson era. And obviously, we've talked about the home road defensive splits for a while now. So it would yep. be nice to get you know that crowd noise in there a little bit, have that support down there. The Eagles had that for the Bucks, I feel like, or at least a decent amount, and didn't help as much. So I don't know. We'll see. But uh, yeah, you look at this Titans team, and on one hand, they're two and one. And they lost to the only loss they had was to a three and O Dolphins team. So maybe they're they're not terrible, but uh, I just here's how I look at it, John. I was thinking about this earlier when we were. I was thinking about what we we're going to talk about in the podcast tonight. Can you name me ten Titans players off the top of your head? Because <laughs> I remember, and I bring this up because I remember doing this back when the Eagles played the Titans in 2014, the last time they played them during the Chip era. And obviously, things have changed since then. Uh, Zach Mettenberger is starting for them at the time, but they just seem so boy. irrelevant. And like, I couldn't even yeah. name five players on their team back then. I, so I kind of I lifted it to 10 now because obviously they've improved since then. It's a different team. It's a different era. But I just I don't I'm not there's nothing about this team that's really making me shake in my boots. I don't know how you feel. Yeah, no. Well, it, here's the thing. I, I This this feels like a trap game to me. And I, I'm not the first one to mention this. And I wrote I wrote about this for Bleeding Green Nation dot com this weekend that this this feels this is a this has all of the makings of a classic trap game because you're right. This is not an imposing, at least on the offensive side of the ball, this is not an imposing team the Eagles are going to go play. Yes, they went 9-7 and seven and made the playoffs last year. Yes, they actually won a playoff game last year, beating the Chiefs in the opening in the wild card round of the playoffs. But it felt flukish, and it still feels flukish. It doesn't, because you're right, there are no real stars on this team, especially on the offensive side of the ball. Marcus Mariota has not turned into the quarterback that a lot of us were thinking, especially when we were pining for Chip Kelly to get him here in Philadelphia. He has not turned into the quarterback that a lot of us expected him to be. Derrick Henry's a really good running back, and this team, as we'll get into here in a few minutes, loves to run the ball. Um, and he's probably their best offensive player. You've got Corey Davis at, at wide receiver. And frankly, I'll be able to name a few players just because I, I did some research on this right. team this week. But, you know, I if I hadn't done that research, those are the three guys I probably would have been able to tell you about mm-hmm. because it's it's not a stacked unit. But because they're going on the road, the Eagles are, because this is an opponent you could look past, because you have the Minnesota Vikings at home next week, NFC Championship game rematch, sitting there waiting for you when you return. Obviously, there's a ton of juice for that game. 
I could very easily see the Eagles looking past this Tennessee team and falling into the trap game mentality. Now, I will say this too. Last year, they did not have a single trap game that they fell victim to. You know, they only lost twice. How many trap games could they possibly have have had? You know, the, the second game of the season. It's too early in the season for a trap game. Mm-hmm. And then the Seattle game, which I don't think was a trap game at all because Seattle was legitimately good. Russell Wilson played out of his mind. The Eagles didn't take that game lightly. They just got outplayed in that game in a, t- in a place where almost nobody wins. Mm-hmm. So... The Eagles did have opportunities for trap games last year. When when they had the Bears at home, uh, they could have fallen into a trap, and they didn't. You know, but they matter of fact, in the games where they they had potential trap games, they blew teams out. So that was that's been a big hallmark of this team over the last year or so is that they haven't done that. They haven't fallen into trap games, which are a very real thing in the NFL. <laughs> John, I'm going to go the complete other way on it. I'm going to ring the bell right early on. Wow! All right, last year. Uh, for those listening to BGN Radio last year in different times, uh, I you, you might remember me railing against the idea of trap games because I just felt like, and I don't think you're doing this here, John, I just felt like too often people would say that almost every week, especially early on in the season. I was like, oh, they're playing the Chargers, trap game up. They're hosting the Cardinals at home, trap game. Like it just, yeah. everything kept becoming a trap game. And it was like, no, the Eagles are just good. Like there is no trap yeah. game. Now I get what you're saying about the, the terms of the, I, I get where you're coming from with it. Cause I can see the conditions kind of shaping up and in yeah. terms of, but I just don't think maybe the Vikings aren't good. <laughs> like we just, <laughs> we saw them obviously lose yeah. and they, you know, whatever they, uh, they were competitive certainly against the Rams, but they're, they should be one in three right now because the only reason, as we know, they beat the Packers is because they benefited from that dumb rule. Uh, Cousins threw an interception that should have counted. The game should have ended. Packers should have won that game. They're one in three with their one win coming over a Niners team that obviously they lost Jimmy G. So they're not going to look as good. But even with him, they weren't a juggernaut by any means. I don't think they were as good as people were making them out to be heading into the season. So and then same thing with the Giants. I don't I don't think the Giants are good just because they beat the Texans. Uh, So I I just don't think those teams are even that good. And it's even kind of looking ahead to that too much. And the other thing about this, I think talking to Jimmy Morris, our good friend from uh, Music City Miracles, which is the Titans version of Bleeding Green Nation, he thinks mm-hmm. this could be a letdown game for the Titans because they're in a spot sure. where they just had these two wins that people didn't expect them to get uh, in their last two games, especially more so with over the Jaguars there. So I think it could be a letdown for them. They're coming back home. And, and the way they've won, too, is kind of like gimmicky almost. And, and Mariota, as you've talked about, not only not developing into that guy, but he kind of even can't right now because he's dealing with this pinched nerve in his throwing elbow. He can't even feel two of his fingers, apparently. Like, that's not a good thing. And Yeah, that sounds bad to me and he's getting, as a quarterback. It's bad. He's <laughs> getting better, apparently, but I don't think he's 100% still. So yeah. uh, I just I think there's just not enough for Tennessee here to for it to be that kind of trap situation. I think the Buccaneers, if anything, was probably more of one. Uh, you know, they're, they're, they're just hot. They're coming. It's early in the season for one, I know, but I just feel like I feel much better about this game than I do the Bucks game. I, I was a little bit nervous about the Bucks game just because they played so well. Uh, you're on the road. I just I don't have that same worry of this Titans game. Yeah, I don't know how worried I am. I just you know the the circumstances has all the criteria of a trap game, you know, and I, I have seen teams fall into that. I am a believer in the trap game. So yeah, we, we will come at this from different sides. <laughs> I do, be, I do believe there are some games NFL teams look past whether they consciously do it or not. And it's generally, you know, when you just have trouble getting up for an inferior opponent, I do think it is a thing in the NFL because the NFL, maybe more than any other sport is driven by emotion, you know? And so I think that definitely, plays a part here but I do agree with you also and I didn't make the point in the piece necessarily that the Eagles were going to fall victim to the trap game as a matter of fact I went out of my way to show how this team has been immune to the trap game so far at least in the last year and a half that Doug Peterson and and Carson Wentz have been at the helm of this team and I I really feel if you're a Super Bowl contender you probably should be impervious to games to, to falling victim to trap games you don't see it happen to the Patriots all that often uh, if at all, I mean, maybe once in a while, but 
for the most part, when the Patriots lose a game, it's it's just a loss. It, it's a loss because it's a loss. It doesn't have anything to do with me- necessarily looking past an opponent. And I think that's my, maybe that's where the Eagles are too right now. The Eagles are good enough and they're well coached enough so that they don't fall victim to trap games. So again, I think this has the hallmarks of a trap game, but I don't necessarily believe the Eagles will fall victim to that for the reasons you mentioned. This is a good football team. So let's talk about the injury report here. Uh, and the guy we got to talk about, obviously, first is um, is uh, Rodney McLeod, who is out with a torn MCL. He had surgery this week. He's not out for the season yet. The team has not uh, declared him out for the year, but it looks like it's going to be an extended absence. McLeod had started 33 of 35 games at safety alongside Malcolm Jenkins since coming to the Eagles in 2016. So this is obviously a really big loss, BLG. I know, I know you wrote about some potential replacement options, both in-house uh, players who might be on the waiver wire. And, of course, there's a big name who has been mentioned in trade mm. rumors, mainly with the Cowboys. <laughs> but now you wonder if maybe the Eagles come calling about Earl Thomas. Oh. What, do, what do you think about the possibility of, of Earl Thomas and or anybody else? taking the place of McLeod here because it looks like he's going to be out for quite a bit of time. Earl Thomas, where have I heard that name before? Is I know. The first it's like time? it's tip of my tongue, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'll get to him in a bit. Obviously, we'll start with McLeod right. here. Uh, it's weird because a lot of people are like, well, if it's just an MCL, why is Derek Gunn saying he's out for the season? Because usually an MCL is kind of like a four-week to eight-week kind of in that range deal. But – the thing about that, I think, from my understanding, and look, I'm not a medical expert, so don't quote me on this here, but I, my understanding from following along with the league over the years is that with an MCL, usually the guy doesn't get an operation. He kind of just has to let it heal because it kind of heals a little bit on its own, I think, and they usually kind of just sit out for a little bit, and then they're able to kind of play through that pain at a certain point. I don't like that's not what's happening here. Like McLeod got surgery. Doug Peterson confirmed that. I feel like maybe it's a little more serious than the typical MCL. So we'll see. We still don't know. I think just because McLeod hasn't been put on injured reserve yet doesn't mean that won't happen at some point. And if it is, neither way, he's definitely going to miss this game. And it seems like a good amount of more of time. We'll see how much. I mean, it's a significant loss. Like Rodney is having a very good season. I feel like a very underrated season really here to start the year. He's been he's been good. Uh, just the ability he provides just to be that guy on the back end and to have that range and coverage and his versatility. He can move down in the box, too. Like that's that's that hurts to lose that. We saw last year when he was missing time early on in the season. He was dealing with a hamstring issue. He had to miss the Giants game. The Eagles were down to Chris Marigos in the back end, and it just wasn't good. It was it was bad for the defense, so losing him hurts. Uh, you're going to have mm-hmm. to – maybe that limits how you can use Malcolm Jenkins. Uh, you're going to have to play Corey Graham more. So it's not ideal. But uh, you yeah. know, the Eagles still have some options here. I'm really interested to see how I'm, – I'm, like, there's so much – there's so many options here that I almost – it's hard for me to predict what's going to happen because I don't – I genuinely just don't know what the Eagles are going to do. Like they could they could play Corey Graham a lot more and then maybe try to get DeAndre Hall working in in Corey Graham's old role because they traded for him, you know, week one during final cuts. So maybe they, they like that. But maybe he's only been with the team now for a couple weeks and he was suspended for the first week. Like maybe there's some dynamic there where – he doesn't really know the defense enough yet to kind of take on a major role. Maybe the Eagles yeah. feel like Avante Maddox or Rizul Douglas, they want to get those guys on the field more. So they're playing more different nickel and dime looks where they're trying to get those guys on the field instead. So th- there's a lot of options they have here. I feel like if McLeod is going to miss a certain amount of time, uh, they they kind of, they have to add some. And if he is going on IR, they obviously have to add some kind of safety to the roster. I don't think Trey Sullivan should be that guy. I like Trey Sullivan's potential, but I just don't think he really kind of moves the needle at all. And I think you should just, and I think the Eagles feel that way too. I think he's on the practice squad because they like his potential. They like him if they need him in a very dire emergency. But if we're talking yeah. any kind of long-term answer for the rest of the season, I don't see him as the guy. Earl Thomas. Now here's the, here's the juice <laughs> you need. Um, yeah. I don't think it's crazy. Like I'm usually the guy who kind of downplays these things, such yeah. as the, the Le'Veon Bell rumors, which we heard earlier this week, which I think are kind of silly. I think there's like a 
I don't, I think there's like maybe like a 5% chance. Like, I think there's like that much credence to it, but uh, getting back to Earl Thomas, I mean, like just because the impact this, that he, it would make by acquiring him would be huge. He would make this defense yeah. so much better. And if McLeod is going to have this, or if his absence is going to be this big loss for this defense and it's very noticeable and you're a, a Super Bowl, you know, you have, you're the Eagles and you have Super Bowl aspirations. Like you need to capitalize on this window now. So there, there could yeah. be some, uh, a need to be aggressive there. I'm not saying you trade out, you know, your entire draft or get too crazy there, but I think you have to, to be aggressive. And I think it's, what do you give up? It's yes. Yeah, so that's the question. I, I think right now, uh, first of all, Seattle has to be willing to deal, and I don't think they are right away exactly today because you know they're still in it. They just beat the Cowboys, which was great to see. Like their season isn't dead yet, so I don't think they're just looking to you know you know they're not sellers just yet. Yeah. Um, and the thing with Earl Thomas and them is that it doesn't make sense for them to take anything less than a third, obviously, because he's going to be a free agent after this year, and they could just let him walk, and they're going to get a third round compensatory pick. So it would have to be higher than that. Apparently, they've turned down a second round pick from the Cowboys. So it again, the offer has to start at a second, and maybe you're adding more onto that. The Eagles have two seconds, which I think is just interesting. And now another mm-hmm. dynamic to this is, and I had floated kind of giving up two seconds because I think that's what it might take. Is that ideal? No. But part of the thing you have to think about here is if you're trading for Earl Thomas and you aren't committing to him, after this year, which the Eagles probably couldn't because of their financial situation, then you're getting a third. You're you're the one all of a sudden getting that third round compensatory pick after this season. So you're kind of getting something back. Like it, it's a rental, yes, but you're getting something back for it. So do I think it's likely to happen? No, I think it's something like how he should make that call though. Absolutely, he should check in, see what the price is because. He would not just – it's not like you're just getting a guy – like you're not spending a high price to get a guy who makes a minor difference. Like Earl Thomas would make a major difference. Like he would make the secondary even better than it was with Rodney McLeod. So yeah. uh, I, definitely worth checking in on. I don't think it will happen. I think what the Eagles will do maybe is sign someone out there. I, I, I really love the Andrew Adams idea, although I just found out he signed with the Bucks shortly after writing the piece. So that's not ideal. They apparently had shown some interest in him. I think they have to add someone if McLeod goes on IR, but I don't think it's going to be anyone too exciting. No, I, I agree with you, and I would love to see Earl Thomas, obviously, but you know, and he would fit in under the salary cap this year. Ten point four million dollars. Eagles have a cap cap hit of around a cap uh, position of around eleven million right now. So um, you could do that, and you, yeah, if you if you give away those two second rounders, that's great. But you know, at some point, you know, getting rid of the dra- of the draft picks, it does come back to bite you. But when you're talking about a guy like Earl Thomas, I mean, my goodness, you're right. You just make that secondary so so dynamic and uh yeah you, you would get something back for him would you say that safety now is if the eagles were going to make a trade is safety more important a trade need than running back or wide receiver now at this point yeah i think so i think just even looking you know look at we just saw them get by with uh wendell smallwood and Corey clement and, and josh adams combining for 142 yards um yeah yeah. Uh, I think defensive tackle is another thing we still have to keep an eye on. That's, you know, I just, yeah. I don't feel, I still don't feel great uh, about the options outside of Fletcher Cox, but we'll see about the safety thing, man. I think in our heads right now, we're kind of just we're like, oh, it'll work out, but we'll see, man. We'll see how it goes without having Rodney back there. Let's talk about some of the other injuries real quick. Uh, Darren Sproles uh, still dealing with that hamstring issue. He is out for this game as well. Doug Peterson seemed to indicate though, that he felt like Sproles might be back next week for Minnesota? Hopefully. Um, yeah. He hasn't practiced yet still, so uh, okay, hopefully. So still up in the air. Yeah, hopefully. He yeah. he was doing a little bit of – seemed like he was warming up with the team a little bit, which still didn't – again, did not practice at all, but that seems like better than just not doing anything at all. And three players questionable, uh, running back Corey Clement with a quadricep, linebacker uh, 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 Nate Gary with a, a groin, and uh, Alshon Jeffrey uh, w- made it back to practice, was cleared for full contact, and 
was in was at practice, a full participant one day, and then apparently got the flu. Uh, <laughs> so he's been out of action for a couple of days. Uh, what do you what What are your thoughts on on Jeffrey? Do you feel like he'll probably play? I feel like it. Uh, it kind of it's not ideal that he comes back and he obviously he's a full participant, and then all of a sudden he's missing practice, not due to his shoulder, but due to an illness. And it just I think he'll be okay overall. Uh, I don't think he really needs this practice time a ton to play, but it would be nice for him to have it for sure. I love Doug Peterson's answer. I don't know if you saw this, John. I love Doug's answer about like this illness that the Eagles have going around the team. It's just, Mm -hmm. this kind of really underscores how ridiculous like covering sports is sometimes like where someone there's like, and it's a fair question. The guy was asking like, what do you do? One of the reporters was asking, what do you do? Uh, when you have an illness going around the team. And Doug just starts saying that, uh, I quote, just making sure that we're washing hands and maybe covering <laughs> your mouth if you cough or sneeze. Like, that's just so great. That's like like elementary that's school, what I tell, like kindergarten. That's what I tell my yeah, kids so when, they, when, when they're going to go play at somebody else's house. Listen, you've been sick all week. Don't put your hands in other kids' faces. Leave the little babies alone, you know? I love that, <laughs> like, Doug has to do that. Like, that's his job. Like, yeah. it's just so, that's great. Um, But, yeah, Sean, overall, will be okay. I just, I think he's, I think he's going to be fine. And, and that's great. And I think, too, something that's interesting, uh, and I think this point was made by Dr. David Chow on Twitter, so I don't want to steal it, but... It, it's a good point that Alshon's not coming back from like a leg injury here. He's been able to condition and run. So I, I don't think we need to expect yeah. him to have like this serious, you know, rust or he's not going to look 100%. I think he should be fine. So in getting him back is huge. Like having a guy yeah. who was your number one target on offense last year, I know he wasn't the most efficient target always, but I mean, this is a guy capable of making big plays. Michael Kiss has a great breakdown on bootinggreennation.com mm-hmm. if you forgot about that. He's certainly better than Jordan Matthews, although some will have you believe <laughs> otherwise. Uh, I'll leave that there. Uh, I, I think just getting him back is really big. Again, just the fact that the Eagles have been playing without, what, the three of their top four receivers. like That's just an issue. And you're having Kamar Aiken, and you're having Jordan Matthews, and you're even Josh Perkins being used at wide receiver at some times. Like, you're, it's that dire. Just getting Alshon, like, yeah. don't, you don't even have to overthink it and be like, you know, what his, his specific impact. It's as simple as you don't want those guys I just talked about playing, and you do want Alshon playing because he's really good. So great to have him back. Yeah. yeah. He's the number one receiver. You absolutely want that guy on the outside to complement everything else you got going. Um, and, uh, you know, I think it's good for him to get a game under his belt before that Vikings game too because, like you said, he, his conditioning probably will be okay, but – he hasn't played in a while, and he hasn't played with Carson in a game in, in quite a while. So it might take a little bit of time for those two to kind of get the connection going a little bit, mm-hmm. too, a little bit of rust between those two guys. And kind of good to get that uh, get that going this week against Tennessee before the Vikings come to town uh, next Sunday. See, maybe I'm falling into the trap, too, BLG. I'm looking past Tennessee already here myself. Um, but, uh, no, I, and I think, you know, I, one of the things that uh, that Kist and Solak mentioned on um, on their All-22 uh, breakdown of the Eagles' win over the Colts was talking about some of the formations that the Eagles were using in that game and how much having Alshon Jeffrey back could make the offense even more unguardable because you, you have the way they're using Ertz and Goddard on the same side of the field and overloading one side of the field and having a lone wide receiver on the other side, getting some single coverage there. You know, if you've got uh, if it's Nelson Aguilar out there, Nelson's really good, but Alshon Jeffrey is just a, a more natural outside receiver. You're that much more dynamic. You know, you've got to worry about focusing on Alshon Jeffrey over on that side of the field while you're trying to figure out what to do with Ertz and Goddard and if Aguilar is on that side of the field along with those three guy with those two guys. You're 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 talking about all kinds of problems for defensive coordinators with Alshon Jeffrey as one of your outside receivers. Yeah, and how about just a guy who can actually have? Some, I know like Alshon's not a typical deep threat in terms of you know he's not Deshaun Jackson or or even Mike Wallace. Like he doesn't have that kind of right. speed, but he can make plays down the field. We've seen it. Look at the Super Bowl, yep. <laughs> and just a guy yeah. who like maybe just you know Carson isn't looking super sharp, or the offense isn't you know they can't get anything going scheme wise. How about just like, hey, Carson, just freaking throw it up to Alshon and hope he makes the play. Like, that's what you can do with that guy. That's You can't defend yeah. against that. It's, I mean, you can't always just rely on that being your offense. But sometimes you just need a big play like that. And the Eagles haven't had a guy who can do that, really, for them. So to get that back is is really good as well. 
Running back Jay Ajayi looks good to go. Hopefully he'll be able to actually make it through a full game. My, I'm just concerned Ajayi is going to be one of those guys that's in and out of the lineup all year. Yeah. Here, a fractured back, uh, man. Like, Yeah, that's not good. <laughs> that is not Jeez. ideal, no. Um, all right, well, let's look at the Titans a little bit here and, and look at some of the matchups. And we, we touched on Mariota a little bit earlier, but there is concern as to whether or not he can actually, you know, grip and throw a football, um, which is important for a quarterback to do, right? <laughs> you know, I kind of feel like, you know, the Eagles don't really need to be as worried about, especially Mariota going Mariota going downfield. And we know that this is that this is a Titans team that loves to run the football. They run the football more than anybody else in the league. Fifty four percent of the time right now they've been running the football. And so with with Marcus Mariota, he's clearly more dangerous as a runner than he is as a passer right now. How are the Eagles going to how's the defense going to approach Mariota when he's in there because he definitely presents some unique challenges as as a as a dangerous runner back there. Well, in some ways it almost shouldn't be too different from last week, right? I mean, it's similar situations in that yeah, Andrew yeah. Luck can't throw anymore um as evidenced by the Colts having to bring in Jacoby Brissett to throw a freaking Hail Mary at the end of the game and I think Luck averaged something like what? Like 3.3 yards per attempt against this Eagles defense. Yeah, it was terrible. Yeah, not mm-hmm. good. And obviously Mariota not 100%. He's not going to test this Eagles team vertically, so I don't think you have to worry about that a ton. Obviously, but even, you know, look, he's going to be a more dynamic runner than Andrew Luck is, but Luck isn't a slouch, and Luck had a 33-yard run, so that's something, you know, he's a mobile guy as well, and he's pretty athletic, so that's something they will certainly have to monitor. That's definitely the thing I am most worried about, probably. Like, with this Titans offense, it is Mariota's mobility. The Eagles, I don't think they've been, like, the worst team ever to defend against mobile quarterbacks here in the past uh, like the Jim Schwartz era, I will say, but they haven't been yeah. awesome at it. Like they, they've leaked some yards to those guys. I mean, Cousins, I remember even had some yards against them. Cam Newton, obviously, when the Eagles played the Panthers back last year in 2017. So that's something that's definitely going to be a challenge for them. Uh, I'm sure they'll have a plan for that. Hopefully, they'll account for that. I think when you look at this Eagles defense and and how they can. You know, they obviously line up wide and, and they can really get to the quarterback. They can also leave some some big lanes for the quarterback yeah. to take off. And we've seen Mariota take it to the house. Like he can he can take it all the way. Uh, he, he might not be able to feel his fingers, but he can definitely run. He can feel his feet <laughs> still. So that's definitely yeah. uh, the thing that concerns me a lot about this Titans team. Not not much else. Uh, I think this is almost the most ideal matchup you could really ask for in some ways, just because. Like I feel like if you're running against the Eagles, it's just a waste. Like they you you yeah. can't run in them. They they had the best run defense in the NFL last year. They're on they're they're doing great against the run again this year. Like if you're running against them, like back when the, the Buccaneers game, whenever the Bucks ran against the Eagles, it's like a gift because because <laughs> yeah. you look yeah, at the success is. they're having through the air, it's like, what are you doing? When you're running, it's just a free play for the Eagles. So if the the Titans keep running the ball at the rate they are, again, like I just I don't see the, them beating the Eagles that way. Yeah, and the Eagles are so fast laterally. The zone run, the zone run game that Tennessee likes to run, kind of plays into their hands. The Eagles have, you know, Nigel Bradham and and uh, Jordan Hicks have been really good against the run. Derek Barnett is an outstanding defensive end against the run has been so far this year. They they you know obviously you have uh, the guys in the middle like Fletcher Cox who are just kind of bottling things up. It it absolutely feeds into into that. And if you don't have to worry. As much, I mean, the, the Eagles are going to stay in cover three, but you're going to be able to bring the safeties up into the box a little bit more. You're going to be able, you know, I mean, obviously, without McLeod, it's I guess it Malcolm Jenkins' duties. I don't know if they're going to change at all, if he, if he or if he, they're going to let him just kind of do what he always does. But Malcolm Jenkins can get involved in the run game as well because they don't really have Tennessee doesn't really have a whole lot of guys who are going to run past. Jalen Mills or, or you know and, and run uh past Ronald Darby they don't they don't have that kind of athleticism on the outside do they you know even if they did Mariota can't throw it to him so that's well, yeah, that's, that's right yeah right exactly exactly um and it's uh you know I think that um when you're looking at the Eagles offense they've got an interesting task ahead of them with Tennessee uh with uh with how Vrabel likes to try and keep uh try and keep the offenses confused he'll he'll do a lot of things you know a lot of uh, confusing his uh his schemes and stuff on quarterbacks doesn't he yeah i think and going back to so flipping it over to the offense here uh carson obviously coming back now in his second start i would expect him to look a little bit 
less rusty than he did against the Colts. Although, I don't know, maybe there's still an adjustment period here. Obviously, it was a long layoff for him, and he's he's working back into things here. But I just I feel good <laughs> again. I I, I feel oh, really yeah. good about where what I just what I saw from Carson last week. So I think he's going to come back sharper than he was. Again, he's going to work on those mistakes that were made because look, he made some really bad mistakes last week. Some really simple things like Doug even criticized him for staring down Ertz. Uh, there was the play where it was third and two. And Kist was talking about this, and I had seen it on the rewatch as well, where Kamar Aiken is literally there at the sticks on third two. Like, the whole play. Not even just, like, at first, then it goes away. No, like, the whole play. He's just standing there. Like, what are you doing, Carson? Like, take yeah. – I know you want to take the deep shot, but, like, it's third and two, dude. Just get the first down. So, uh, you yeah. want to see those yeah. things cleaned up. Uh, obviously, you look at this Titans defense. I'm saying obviously way too much. Now it's bothering me. Um, <laughs> you look at this Titans defense – and they, you know, look, uh, Blake Bortles played well against the Patriots in week two. So it wasn't just like he's been terrible, although it's still Blake Bortles. So I'm not trying to give them too much credit here, but uh, they clamped down on him last week. So uh, they're definitely I respect that Titans defense. They're not, you know, they're not talentless for sure. I think you look at Jarrell Casey in the middle there. I think if I had to pick a single player to add to this Eagles roster from that team, we always do that post uh, haven't yeah. been doing as much this year, but looking at the, a player to steal, like he's he's really good on the inside, and he has been for a while now. So um, there's there's and we saw this Eagles offensive line leak pressure last week. What they give up five sacks, mm-hmm. and I think some of that yeah. wasn't just because of the line; it was also because of Carson holding onto the ball, and it was those stunts that obviously ah, there it is again. It was those stunts that <laughs> uh, Lane Johnson had gotten that holding penalty on in that crucial fourth down late in the game. So I'm sure Vrabel is going to cook up some things here. And then Dean Pease, who has a very funny name for an NFL, just a funny <laughs> yeah, name right. in general, forget for an NFL uh, coordinator. He's a longtime successful, good defensive coordinator. So I definitely think this Titans defense is respectable. I'm not expecting the offense to just Eagles offense to just torch them by any means, but I just don't think they're, I don't think they're a juggernaut by any means still either. I think, you know, yeah. they're going to, they're going to find ways to have success. I think the offensive line is still pretty good overall, and they're going to be able to to give Carson time. They're going to be able to uh, open some holes in the running game. Hopefully, Jai dealing with that fractured back, which is again just crazy to me. And yeah, he's got a and protect- broken back, broken from back, and, loud, and, and Doug's like, yeah, it's not a big deal. He's a tough guy. Tough <laughs> to- I mean, that's got to affect him in some way, though, in terms of maybe just how many carries he can get, or like you said, could kind of be in and out. Hopefully not. So uh, I think it could be another, all this is to say, I think it could be kind of another not pretty week for the offense, but I still feel like they're going to be able to score enough to win this thing. Yeah, I I guess what it's going to come down to is how sharp is Wentz mentally in this game because he's going to have to be able to recognize when, you know, which guys are coming hot because a lot of times Tennessee will, will bring a bunch of guys to the line, back two guys off, bring in two linebackers on a blitz. It's really hard to diagnose what's coming at you, and it's really hard sometimes to diagnose until right before you snap the ball what kind of scheme they're going to be and whether they're going to be, you know, with a with a, a single high safety and if it turns into cover three or whatever. And, you know, the Eagles can combat that with, with the RPOs by freezing some of these guys. You know, if you're a defense and you're moving just as the ball is being snapped – you're, you're kind of, you know, committing yourself to a certain direction. And if you're the Eagles and you can see it coming, you can play that to your advantage. But uh, it also it also is going to be incumbent on Carson Wentz this week to recognize and to see everything before the snap. And that's what Tennessee tries to do. They try to make it really hard for you to see what's coming pre-snap. I think that's such an underrated thing about Carson too. Like you talk about the difference in, you know, maybe the stats you can measure between him and Nick Foles. Like no no disrespect to Nick Foles and no like just just he doesn't have it's not the same. Like Car, Nick Foles isn't getting in the Eagles at least my understanding into run looks and and audibleing at the line all the time. Like yeah, that yeah. is that's part of why the Eagles wanted Carson Wentz so much and why they value him so much is because of his pre-snap ability. And I think we saw that against the Colts. I mean, it's it's hard to measure exactly how much success is due of the running game success. Again, with Wendell Smallwood, Corey Clement, and Josh Adams, they had 142 yeah. yards. And uh, that's really good. <laughs> and obviously Wentz rushed for some <laughs> too as well. So 
Uh, I definitely think having him back just underrated in that regard of how much he can just help the team, even if he's not going to be totally sharp or with his, you know, the during the play, not forget pre-snap speeds, but during the fees and being rusty there, I think he's still pretty sharp in the pre-snap. So always a good thing to have. I want to mention one thing about special teams uh, before we um, move on to uh, um, another cool thing Chris Long is doing. And uh, and then we'll get to our NFC East picks and uh, give our Eagles prediction here coming up in just a few minutes. But, you know, we don't talk about the special teams a lot, but really the special teams with Darren Sproles being out, the return game has, has really suffered. And the Eagles have had a lot of long fields over these last couple of weeks here at BLG, and that has fed into some of the the low offensive numbers. The Eagles have had, when they score, they've had to go on some really long, time-consuming, time-consuming multiple-play drives, and that's fine if they end in touchdowns and your defense is preventing the other team from scoring quickly, but it would be good to see the Eagles figure out something in the return game so maybe you get a starting field position at the 35 or at the 40 or the 45, something like that, where you're not backed up at your 15, backed up at your 10. And, of course, that's also incumbent on the return team not to commit penalties on the returns, which also back you up. But um, is it still going to be – are they going to feature Corey Clement back there uh, on kickoff returns and punt returns? Do, do we have any idea how, you know, if they're planning on doing anything different in the return game and special teams? Assuming Corey plays, and I think he will, even though he's listed questionable, he had that quad issue last week as well, and it turned out they were kind of just being cautious with him. I think that's what they could be doing here. Uh, I think special teams is absolutely worth bringing up here, John, because the Titans rank fourth overall in special teams DVOA, and the Eagles check in at 29th. So a big, a big, you know, gap there. It's early in the season, so you know DVOA. It's a little early, you know, to have that number. I mean, that could easily change as we go here. But but you look into it, and the Titans are averaging 10.3 yards in punt returns, and they've returned a kickoff or a touchdown in Week One. So they have some kind of explosiveness and, and some things going well for them. And you look at the Eagles, they're averaging 4.2 yards per punt return and 19 yards per kick return, which is bad. That's yeah, very bad. Yeah. So it's not even average. It's bad. So uh, I don't think we are going to see much of a difference. Doug had kind of it said when uh, he was asked about Corey returning punts is he kind of just joked around and he was like, hey, have you ever tried to return a punt in the rain? And <laughs> I, look, I get that. It's hard. But still, like the Eagles were very lucky. Corey did not muff and, you know, well, he muffed them, but didn't, you know, lose control of those punts last week. So, mm-hmm. so hopefully uh, it looks like the Eagles are finally going to get a nice weather game. Like I was looking at the forecast and it's not going to be raining or thunderstorming or excessively hot. So that's good. But uh, the fact that the Eagles aren't getting anything from the special teams unit doesn't mean, you know, they're doomed for sure. But it's just it's kind of a bummer because they, that's something they've been able to count on. In past years, it's something that would be great to have right now with the offense kind of out of sorts and not looking awesome and the defense looking good overall, but not always playing well on the road. So it would be nice to have that bonus. And that's another one of those reasons why I think it's silly to say that uh, the Eagles are better off with Darren Sproles, because even if you don't believe in him as an offensive player anymore, he's still pretty good punt returner. So. To not have anything there is disappointing, and it's disappointing too that Shelton Gibson cannot get on the field in that ro- even for that role. I mean, obviously he only played one offensive snap last week, which is not a very good sign for him. But even on special teams, you know, we we'd seen him have some nice kickoff returns in the preseason, and then week one he had a really bad return against the Falcons, and it seems like the Eagles just don't really trust him on there anymore. So that's another one of those little things to look at this week. I think the the Titans right now going into this one have that special teams edge, and it's actually one of the reasons I listed on the three reasons why the Eagles could lose this game mm. on the post exchange I did over at Music City Miracles. So we will see about that one. Yeah, it's just one of those areas you don't talk about a lot, but uh, does come into play a couple of games per season. You know, they could some special teams can mean the difference between a win and a loss. Let's uh, before we get into our picks, um, let's just uh, mention real quick uh, how cool Chris Long is. You know, I mean, we all know what he did last year, donating his entire salary to to charitable causes and to um, after the the Charlottesville uh, disaster last year and. Um, this year, he's doing something similar again uh, through his found his foundation um, and uh, with United Way. He's uh, investing one fourth of his salary this year 
to launch a drive to increase early literacy among young children. Man, this guy is not only is he a pretty good football player, what a great guy to have on the team, BLG. And, you know, this doesn't have anything to do with the Titans game this week or anything like that. But I just I just kind of wanted to mention it because, I mean, Chris Long is has been nothing but amazingly great in all, both on the field and off the field since he came to Philadelphia last year. I want to read you, John, and all the listeners, a, uh-huh. a good comment here. It's just a very succinct comment I saw in the article for BleedingGreenNation.com about Chris Long's efforts. And this is from Stopper19, all caps. Uh, this guy does it all. Talks the talk on and off the field and walks the walk on and off the field. A complete leader. And I, I don't think you can say it better than that. That is that is who Chris Long is. He's a great player. He's a great leader. He's just a great dude. And to have yeah. guys like that on this team, I think it's easy to underappreciate that because, uh, you know, it's just you can take it for granted very easily because it kind of doesn't matter in the sense of like, you know, it's not helping the Eagles necessarily get closer to a win or a loss. Always, like, you know what I mean? What I'm saying there, like, it's yeah, not yeah. like, oh, we donated this. Now we're going to win. Like, obviously, it doesn't right. work that way. Uh, you could have the best group of guys and maybe you're an 0 16 team. But. For the Eagles to be good and to have those guys, it's great. Also wanted to give a shout out to Malcolm Jenkins, who will be receiving the key. This the, the the what's this? The the city key to the to the the key of the city. I'm having a hard time saying this. The key of the city to Camden for his efforts as well off the field. So it's always cool to see the Eagles uh, be very active in that and, and to be recognized for the good work they're putting in. Yeah, well, in the NFL, the locker room's important. And when your top leaders are selfless guys and not me-first guys and you know, trying to build other people up, that that filters to the other players. And it's one of the, I think, one of the big reasons why that team did what they did last year. So uh, I, don't, I don't think this stuff has no effect on what happens on the field because it has to do with their overall leadership and all that too. So that's just awesome. Awesome stuff from Chris Long. All right, let's give our NFC East picks here real quick, uh, BLG. Uh, Washington is on the bye this week. Loss. Early bye. <laughs> what? They're going to yeah, lose the bye. <laughs> <laughs> I wish. I uh, wish. Wish I could happen. Uh, they looked very, very good last week. Um, uh, so we've uh, we've got Detroit at Dallas. Uh, Dallas is favored by three points at home against the Detroit Lions. I'll let you tackle this game first, John. I don't see a record here, so I'm I'm going to choose to believe that my record is better than yours now, just because it's not here. Um, I think we both went. I think we both went one and two last week. Okay. Neither of us performed very well. Yeah, so we, we didn't. Take, in, I think we both. Yeah, we didn't take good. the Washington to lose for sure, which is a bummer that right. they won. But also very, very them. Like I, I wrote in a post. Oh, and the Giants. We we picked the Giants uh, to, to uh, lose to the Texans, yes. and the Texans and, won too. Mm, so those were the two. Games unfortunate. Uh, getting yeah. to this week, looking Detroit at Dallas. The Lions somehow beat the Patriots, which is interesting, and the Cowboys predictably lost to the Seahawks, which is really funny to me because Cowboys fans were getting all excited after beating the Giants. They're like, yeah, Dallas is back. They're you know, hopping all back on the bandwagon. And all of a sudden, they lose in Seattle, and the season is over again. We have those fan post results at SB Nation that you know they, they put together, and I posted about that on Booty Green Nation. And Cowboys fans have the least confidence in the NFL <laughs> of any team, except for the, the Arizona Cardinals, who are – at 5% and the Cowboys are at 6% confidence. And then there was a poll too about how uh, is Dak Prescott going to be the the Cowboys starter next year? And only 60% of Cowboys fans said yes. That's like, that's a good chunk of 40% who said no. So I love it. I love the dysfunction down in Dallas. (laughs) I want them to not lose too much, of course, because I want them to keep Dak around. And, And Jerry Jones had a quote that he still loves Dak. So I'm glad about that. And he's still very delusional. And I hope he keeps Dak and Jason Garrett and all those guys around forever because they'll be mired in mediocrity. But, uh, man, so getting to the pick itself here, uh, I just I don't think Dallas is good, man. I don't like Dak. Uh, do I really trust the Lions here? Uh, I don't know. Uh, I, I feel like it's a little too maybe simple to just be like, yeah, the Lions won last week. They're on the upswing. Dallas on the downswing. Um, I like taking Dallas, and I like – jinxing them that's my mindset i always say this I, I take the cowboys and then if i'm wrong you know so be it they lost if i'm right at least i got the pick right so i will take the cowboys here at home minus three see i'm going with you i i oh, think well. dallas i'm going to take dallas at home as well you know detroit it's you, you don't want to base 
a franchise based on every other year the franchise is the franchise has had. And by that, I mean the Detroit Lions have been bad for a very, very long time. That doesn't mean they're going to be bad this year. But I just have a hard time. I mean, that was a big win the Lions got last week against the Patriots. Huge. I don't Huge win. I don't know that they can follow that up with a win in Dallas. Even though this is not your brothers or your fathers or your grandfathers, Cowboys, this is a weakened Dallas Cowboys team. I do think that a team like the Lions and Matthew Stafford, who is up and down, sometimes you get a good Matthew Stafford game. A lot of times you don't get a good Matthew Stafford game. I, I just, I don't know that I believe in the Lions yet, and I don't believe in the I don't believe in the Cowboys either. But I think the Cowboys play a little bit better at home, and so I'm going to take the Cowboys in this one as well. And I, I hope to jinx them too, but I'm not sold on Detroit yet away playing in Dallas. This feels like a game the Lions historically lose. So uh, let's move on to the other NFC East game. New Orleans is at the New York Giants. The Saints, uh, three-point favorites on the road at New York. I think with this one, BLG, New Orleans' defense has been shockingly porous. They were so good at the end of last year, even though they started off the year a little bit raggedy, but they have not been able to stop anybody so far this season. The offense has been unbelievable. Drew Brees has been phenomenal. If you drafted Drew Brees in, on your fantasy team, you are loving life right now. I, by the way, drafted Jared Goff and Carson Wentz and have benched Jared Goff each of the last two weeks for, for Carson Wentz, so that tells you exactly how intelligent I am. <laughs> um, but uh, you've got you've got Drew Brees in this New Orleans offense that is just humming right along, but they can't stop anybody either. And you've got the Giants coming off a win against the Texans in which – Eli Manning in that offense looked competent. Their offensive line protected Eli Manning in that game. And, you know, I don't – I can't take the Giants to win this game. I just no. can't do it. I'm going to pick New Orleans because I don't think that the offensive line of the Giants is going to hold up again the way they did last week against the Texans. I think I think the Saints' defense comes to play in this one a little bit, even though it's on the road. So I'll take New Orleans minus three over the Giants in this one. What say you? Yeah, I just don't think the Texans are good. So I'm not going to get all worked up about the Giants beating them. Uh, Houston is the only other team besides the Giants that had only one offensive line starter returning from last year. And that's clearly been an issue for them. Deshaun Watson is not off to a hot start uh, after, you know, obviously impressing last year. So I just think... I'm not. I'm not going to be like, oh, the Giants are back now. I uh, I don't like this Giants team. Still, I think they're going to lose. I think the Saints are just much better than them. It's an easy pick for me. All right, so we're both in agreement this week uh, on on these two games. We have Dallas and New Orleans. Um, and real quick, uh, before we get into our Eagles predictions, we only have a few minutes left here, but let's just uh, talk about the L.A. Minnesota game here on Thursday night. Man, Kirk Cousins, Jared Goff went after each other again. <laughs> Defense is nowhere to be found in this game, but Jared Goff is unbelievable. I mean, are we looking at with with him and with him and Wentz? It just feels like Marino Montana back in the, back in the day you know we were talking about comparing Wentz and Dak Prescott for uh for for a lot of the start of last year anyway and for 2016 that felt like it was going to be the big rivalry but now man it looks like it's going to be Goff and Wentz because Goff is for real they got a ton of talent on that team and he is really good at putting the football where it needs to be put um, and I was, I was feeling, you know, Kirk Cousins got the ball back at the end of the game, BLG. And I was feeling, I was, I couldn't wait to come on and talk to you. Cause I thought, man, if oh, Cousins yeah, goes down and ties the game, I'm going to be able to say he, he performed well mm. against a really good opponent. He put up a ton of points and then he goes out, gets sacked twice on the final drive. And the game ends on a strip sack when, when he clearly had to step up in the pocket and get out of the way. So I, I can't win with Kirk Cousins. I, I submit, you know, I think, I think he's got a ton of talent, but he just doesn't know how to win football games man but what do you think about what did you think about that game what do you think about the rams and the vikings right now i have so many takes i need to get off here john <laughs> all right and i'll in a lot of different directions so bear with me for a second here mm -hmm. first of all kirk romo i mean that kirk cousins is tony romo like that is the player he is i swear yeah. it's the same player and romo is better to be fair but like that is the same mold of the player he is like he's just he posts good numbers obviously he is a worthwhile starter in the nfl but he chokes and i like i think the choke thing is obviously so lazy in sports that often gets overused it's cliche 
uh, what does it mean all the time. But it's so true with him. Like, there's yeah. just you see it, and even it's not even just the end of games. It's like the gaff at the end of the first half in that uh, Rams. Oh Vikings yeah, the game. time management thing. Like, yeah, what are you yeah. doing? Call yeah. a timeout, or like, yeah. like, or get to their side. At least if you're gonna spike the ball, spike the ball. Like, what are you doing? So, and we've seen that from him time and time again. He just has those mental lapses, and I just. Obviously, he is talented. He is making some great throws out there, but he doesn't come up. He just does not come up big, and it's it's the Romo thing. It's always well, uh, he didn't lose the game for them, or you know, it's not his fault the defense gave up so many points. Like that is Romo right there. That's what everyone said about Tony Romo all the time. Kirk Cousins to me is Tony Romo. It is ridiculous. <laughs> he has a contract that is eighty four million fully guaranteed. Like wow. that is just it's insane to me. I just know. And and look, again, the Vikings should be really should really be one in three right now. So that's my take there. Goff, uh, he's good, man. He's he's a good quarterback. Really good. Is he elite? Is am I scared of him? No, I'm still not scared of Jared Goff. And it's just I I don't think the Rams or sorry, the Vikings were really getting to him that much. They only sacked him once. The the Rams offensive line is good now, so it's not like uh I can fault that. But I, I look at how the Eagles got to Jared Goff last year and made him look very vulnerable at times. And that makes me feel not so scared of that because I think they can get to him better than the Vikings can. And obviously Minnesota missing Everson Griffin. So they're they're not at hundred percent when it comes to their pass rush. I think Jared Goff and the Rams are very good. They're they're very for real. They're very much a threat to the Eagles, but I'm not like, oh, the Eagles can't beat them. No, I'm still like the Eagles beat them last year. I'm not, I'm not going to just like just surrender to the Rams. So they're really good. They're a big concern. Obviously, I would have I've loved for Minnesota to win that game and to give uh, the Rams a loss there, but didn't happen, unfortunately. Um, other take I had was, what is Sean McVay doing punting on fourth and inches late in yeah, that game? Yeah, right. Is, Seriously. This guy isn't reinventing the NFL, but he's like a big coward in a big spot like that. Come on. Like, you can't get an inch. I know I know where the field possession was. I know it's risky, but like the game's over if you get that first down. And the way Cousins was moving the ball to that point, he easily could have tied that game up. So that is total cowardly stuff there from Sean McVay, who I think is a very is a good coach, but I also think he gets a little too much hype, and I think he doesn't get criticism when he deserves it as well. So those are all my takes. Uh, they are all very correct. Thank you for yeah. listening. To them. Love the takes. Love the takes. And I agree with you on that move not to go for it on fourth down. Have you not? Have you? Have you coaches? Have you people not learned anything from what Doug Peterson and the Eagles did last year? For crying out loud, he gave you a roadmap. Follow it for crying out loud. I said for crying out loud like twice in three seconds. That's when you know I'm fired up. All right. Um, <laughs> Eagles-Titans preview here, BLG. Um, I'll go first, and I'll let you get the last word here. Um, I think, again, to me, this this has the hallmarks of a trap game. I know you don't like that, but I'm just I'm gonna. Uh, that's my hill. I'm gonna die on it. But I don't think the Eagles fall into the trap this week. I think that they, if Alshon plays, I think the offense is humming just fine. Uh, with Alshon back and Ajayi back, if they can stay healthy and stay in the games, which is admittedly a, an if, especially with Ajayi and his broken back uh, playing running back in the NFL and Corey Clement being in there would be very helpful. If the Eagles are healthy, I think they roll over the Titans. I think this is a 28-10 to 10 win because I don't see, the, I don't see the, the Titans offense doing anything against this Eagles defense. Um, the only way I could see it is, again, if the special teams set up a couple of of a short field touchdowns or uh, short field points, touchdown field goal combinations for Tennessee. Um, I, I really do see Wentz, play, Wentz playing a lot better in the middle of the game. He was very good during the scripted portion of the game. And then towards the very end on that last drive, the middle was a little bit muddy. I think he's better with Alshon out there. And I think he's better in the middle part of this game with a, a game already under his belt. So I'm going to say Eagles 28 Titans 10. I like it. Uh, I, I look one of the things I uh, wanted to re-highlight here, as Kisten Solak said, is the Titans are not very good in the red zone offensively. And guess what the Eagles are really good at doing yeah. in, in the red zone defensively is stopping the other team from scoring touchdowns. So I think the Eagles defense is going to have a solid road performance here, or it's not going to be the usual chaos that it usually is and, and making everyone throw their hands up in the air like they did in week two against the Bucks. I just don't think... This Titans team is that explosive. So I, I do feel good about the Eagles going into this one. I have a, a good amount of confidence. I might tweet out Eagles going to get that W 
in the early a.m. hours yeah. of the morning, which, again, the Eagles are undefeated when I do that. So right. we'll see. I got to have the feel. You can't I just like force your feel. it. I like you gotta it. You got to have the feel. So I have the feel this week. I don't want to jinx it, but I feel good. And I think I'm going to take the Eagles here 24 to 13. I think, you know, again, defense is going to be solid. I think the offense will find a way to put up points here with Alshon back and, and with Wentz looking a little less rusty, as you said. I just I feel good, man. I feel good about this game. I don't have any bad vibes about it. I feel like I'm going to be listening to this podcast after they lose now, and I'll be like, what was I saying? <laughs> but but no, I don't really feel like that. I feel like they're going to win, and I feel like it's it's almost a little too straightforward. It's kind of just a, a boring kind of game, ultimately, because the Titans are an AFC opponent. There's not a lot of juice in that regard, but... All that matters is getting to three and one, and boy, are the Eagles in a great spot if they get there. Three and one with a Vikings team that is could be, you know, you could end their season basically with a win over them back at home and, and a, a very big game. I just I like this spot that the Eagles are in right now. Yeah, it, and they've taken advantage of these opportunities over the last year and a half or so. And so we will see if they're able to do that in Tennessee, taking on the Titans Sunday at one o'clock, Eagles, Titans. Uh, Eagles, again, can move to 3-1 and one on the season with a win over Marcus Mariota and the Tennessee Titans. And again, folks, if you haven't done so, please make sure that you subscribe to the Bleeding Green Nation podcast feed. Check us all out at bleedinggreennation.com. For Brandon Lee Galton, follow him on Twitter, by the way, at Brandon Galton. For BLG, I'm John Stolness. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in to BGN Radio, episode number 12, powered by SB Nation and bleedinggreennation.com. That doesn't make sense. Hey guys, this is John Stolness from The Good Fight and the Phillies podcast, Hitting Season. Man, the 2018 season was, well, it was interesting anyway, and the upcoming offseason looks to be even more interesting. So if you want to stay up to date on all things Phillies this offseason, subscribe to The Good Fight podcast feed and get my podcast, Hitting Season, where I talk to Phillies beat writers, broadcasters, and fellow Good Fight bloggers, as well as national baseball writers, and the occasional interview with Matt Klintak and Gabe Kapler. Also, you'll get continued success, a Phil's podcast hosted by Justin Clue and Liz Rocher covering all things Phillies, and The Dirty Inning, a hilarious podcast hosted by Justin and Trevor Strunk looking at the very worst innings in Phillies history. And you'll get bonus podcasts every time big news is made with the team. Seriously, if you want to stay up to date on everything revolving around your favorite baseball team as they return to contention, make sure you are subscribed to the Good Fight podcast feed.